I'm Jeff Harden. I'm Mickey Harden. And I'm Amanda Wiggers. Several years ago, the military moved us to Prattville, Alabama, and God led us to Centerpoint. But then the military moved us again, and this time it was to San Antonio, Texas. And we tried and tried and tried to find a church home that fed us spiritually like Centerpoint did, but we just never found one. So we decided to get together and stream the message in our home and then hold Connect Group afterward. We just praise God for the technology that allows us to be a part of the Centerpoint family from almost a thousand miles away. Thanks, Thanks Centerpoint! Yeah, if that's exciting, you can applaud that. I'm excited about that. Today we have folks joining us by video at Pike Road and at Wetumpka and at Cloverdale and now in San Antonio, Texas. So we're excited about that. If you are uh, moving to San Antonio in that area and you'd like to know where those folks are so you can join them, then you just give us a call or email us and we're glad to tell you where they are. Wouldn't it be great if 400 of us showed up next week? Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it wouldn't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it would be a problem, but it would be interesting. Uh, the other thing is I want to tell you that some of you, if the military is relocating you or you are moving to a new city or things, and you want to know, hey, how could we stream something like that in our living room? Well, please contact us. Tommy Green and our staff would be glad to help you. That's just new technology that's available now, and we are excited about it. Um, in your bulletin today, you will find an outline of where I'm headed this morning. We are going to do a little mini-series here about becoming holy like God, becoming like God. And today's message is entitled, Becoming Holy Like God, Part 1. And so next week will be Part 2, okay? Uh, because there's a couple of things we want to talk about. Holiness, it's often misunderstood. You say the word holy, and uh, the word, you know, now, you know, holy can mean a whole lot of things. And uh, But today, what we want to talk about is, or in these next two weeks, today and next week, we want to talk about two parts of holiness uh, if a person's going to be holy, I could be saintly and godly, morally upright. I could also be someone who is set apart or dedicated to the service of God. And we're going to break those into two parts. Today, I want to talk about, hey, how do we find holiness where we are godly and morally upright? And uh, I want to talk about it with you because a fellow came to my office just the other day. And he got me and some of, the other, some of our staff people, a couple of our elders together and said, I want you all to pray with me. I'm so tired of living a sinful life. I want to be devoted fully to God you know, all the way through. And I want y'all to come pray for me. And he's not the only one. I get emails from people all the time. They go, you know, I have given enough years of my life to the devil and I want to live for Jesus. Can you show me how? If that has ever been a desire of your heart to be 100% USDA sold out for Jesus, well, then you came to the right place today because the Bible wants to let us know you bet it's possible. And today we're going to talk about how that's done. So I hope you're excited about it because you can probably tell from the tone of my voice, I am. I couldn't wait to get here today. This is good news, and you're going to get a boatload of it, okay? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray for today. I pray that the good news I have to share will be something that will resonate through our souls. God, you, you have saved us, and you have given us new life, and you want us to become just like you. And I pray that today you'll show us how to get that done. I pray that we will be not be stubborn or resistant or fight you in any way, but we will yield our lives completely to you so you can make us like you, holy. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Hey, there's some blanks on this outline. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just take some notes, raise your hand. One of the ushers will come up and down the aisles. I'll be glad to bring one to you. I mean, why is this important? Well, I mean, just, I mean a few years ago, I'll just tell you how important this is or how common it is, a struggle that we have with becoming holy. Uh, a friend of mine and I got started in ministry about the same time. I got involved with a ministry to high school kids in Houston. 
uh, called Young Life, he got involved in a ministry uh, out at a church out in West Texas. And after he got started for a while, we got together sometime later. And remember, we talked about, uh, you know, lessons we'd learned the hard way in ministry. He said, well, one lesson he'd learned the hard way was came about, unfortunately, when he went to get his license renewed out in West Texas. The town's pretty far apart, and he had gotten in the habit of speeding. Well, he went and got his license renewed, and when he brought his license in, the gal at the counter said, I'll be right back. She came back with a police officer who arrested him because he had some outstanding speeding tickets that he'd never paid. Well, he just started at this church as a youth minister, and he had to call his pastor to come bail him out, which was awkward. Okay? I mean, we could all agree that's awkward. <laughs> okay? So the pastor comes and bails him out and says, well, you know, I'm just shocked you haven't paid those speeding tickets. And, you know, the guy paid him and paid the fine and all this. But uh, he said, but what really bothers me is why are you speeding all the time? Why are you speeding so much? And he turned to his pastor. He said, you know, my right foot never got saved. Okay, the rest of me did, but my right foot never did. Well, today I want to talk to you how to get saved all the way from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, even your right foot. Okay, every part of us needs to get saved all the way through and become the way God wants us to become, fully devoted to him, saintly, godly, morally upright. Now, uh, this isn't just my idea. The Bible makes this very clear, and that brings us to point A on your outline. God wants us to be holy like he is. And in the blank, write your name. God wants John to become morally upright. God wants John to be holy like he is. God wants your name in there, too. God wants you to be holy like he is, too. Yeah, all of us. That's his goal, not just to get us saved, but to get us sanctified. And we'll talk about those things in a minute. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. God is holy. He's always been holy, always will be holy, is holy right now. And if you and I are going to become like him, then he wants us to be holy, too. Peter talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. I apologize in your outline. I only had 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. I left off verse 14, and I cannot imagine why. But let me read it to you. This is 1 Peter 1, starting with verse 14. It'll be up on the screens here. So you must live as God's obedient children. Peter is giving a call to holiness, to holy living, to early Christians. He said, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you, who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I'm holy. And he was quoting Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 20, where God called his people out of Egypt and said, hey, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. And Peter said, you used to live that way. You came to Christ because you had a belly full of sin and you were sick of it. You came to get saved because you were going the wrong way and you knew it and you repented. Well, why on earth would you want to go back to that filth? If that makes sense to you, could you raise your hand? Well, why in the world would I want to go back to that? That was wrong and wrong-headed. So let's not do it. James 1.13, James says, Remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God's tempting me. God's never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else to do it. God doesn't sin. And it was all important in their, to the early Christians to write this. Remember, they lived in Rome, where people actually worshipped Roman deities. And if you ever read any of the... Um, mythology surrounding this the gods of rome were capricious and wicked and selfish and lustful and the god we worship isn't like that at all the god we worship is patient and kind and long-suffering and forgiving forgiving and sacrificial and he wants us to be like him and so peter says 
Well, now you used to live a stubborn, selfish life focused on your own desires. You couldn't help it then because you were just a lost sinner. But that's not who you are anymore. So let's get on with it. And if you ever wondered, well, can God turn me, a wretch like me, into a saint? Here's good news. You bet he can. And I'm going to tell you how. So let's get going. Point one, first of all, the first step in becoming holy like God is to get saved. And to get saved means to be cleansed from sin. It all starts with the right relationship with Jesus. You come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world and died on a cross in my place. I'd run up a tab of millions of sins. I'm never going to be able to set things right on my own. But Jesus came and paid the penalty for all of them. He died to set me free. He suffered. And I get to experience God's love. And he's given me new life. He conquered death. And now I can live forever in his name. And I want to come to him and get saved. Hebrews 10 reminds us that God's will, that's God's will for us. God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Paul talked about Romans 3 as well. For everyone has sinned, that's you and me. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God with undeserved kindness, that's grace, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus and he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. John also added, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You want to get your sins washed away, you come to Jesus. And somewhere in the, in the margin, you can write the word positional. This is positional holiness. When you get saved, you change positions from sinner to saved. You do. I've changed positions. I didn't know Christ. Now I do. And so I'm made clean. I'm washed clean. I'm cleansed from, the, from sin. And I don't have to worry about being punished for it. I'm saved. And that's positional holiness. So that's part one. The second part is we need to be sanctified. And this means we need to be set free from the controlling power of sin. Sin has controlled our lives. And we need to be set free from that. That's called being sanctified. And this is practical holiness. How do we live out holiness practically every day? Positional holiness, I change positions. Practical holiness, I'm living it out every day. Now, if you're wondering, well, John, what exactly are you talking about? Well, here's a parallel. My wife and I have been married 27 years and 10 months. We will be married 28 years in August, at the end of August. And... The idea behind me telling you all this is that 27 years and 10 months ago when we got married, one minute after I put this ring on, put a ring on her finger and she put this ring on my finger, I was just as married then as I am today. Positionally, I went from being single to married filing jointly. Okay? I changed positions. I'm no more married today than I was 27 years and 10 months ago. Practically, everything's changed. Okay? Positional holiness is the wedding. Practical holiness is the marriage. I'm no more married than I was 27 years and 10 months ago. I am a much better husband than I was then. And I've been working on it every day, and she has made sure of that. Okay? And I've helped her with being a wife, too. I mean, it works both ways. 
But I want you to understand this, that this is part of the Christian life. People say, well, all I know is you got to get saved. That'd be like telling a couple, all I know is you got to have a wedding. Well, then you don't know everything. I mean, who would tell a bride, hey, just worry about the wedding. The marriage is a piece of cake. No, the wedding's where you have cake. (laughs) Marriage is the real deal. And you have to live that out every day. Well, it's the same way in the Christian life. When I get saved, I begin the relationship. That's the wedding. Sanctification is the marriage. Piece by piece, day by day, little by little, I learn how to surrender my life so that through the power of God's Spirit, sin no longer has control over me, not even my right foot. I've surrendered every part of it to Him. And so if I become a Christian when I'm 60 and I live to be 80, well, then i got 20 years. If I'm six and I live to be 86, I got 80 years. And God expects us to make the most of whatever time we have left and surrender whatever part of it we have left to him. Now, the good news is, if you're sitting there going, well, John, yeah, but I haven't even done good in my marriage. How am I going to do well in a relationship with God? Here's the good news. God knows this is hard and he promises us help. When you and I come to Christ and surrender our lives to him, he places his Holy Spirit inside of us to give us the power to change. Listen to this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This is Romans 8. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me and lives in you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by its decrees, you'll die. But if through the power, please circle the word power, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, then you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you haven't received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That's a positional thing. Before you were an orphan, now you're a child. You got adopted. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we're his children, we're his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So the position is I'm adopted. The practical part of it is now I'm in God's family. Let's grow up. To be like dad. And we get the Holy Spirit to help us. I hope you've caught that sentence in there where it says that his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. You can underline that too. He gives us the power and his spirit comes alongside our spirit and gives us the strength to get it done. I mean, I don't know why nobody's shouting amen. That's the sweetest part of the cinnamon roll. This is right in the middle here, okay? This is good news. Let me say it again. His spirit comes alongside our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. He comes alongside us and gives us the power to become who we need to be. Thank you. Now, look, I can't live the Christian life on my own. Neither can you. And God knows that. So he places his spirit inside of us to give us the desire to follow him and the power to obey him. If we will only come to him and surrender. My goodness. Why would I want to go back to that filth I used to live in all the time? Now I live for Christ. Well, I don't have the strength. He knows that. Let's get on with it anyway. By the way, we're all in this together and we can help each other too. And you'll see how that plays in. So nobody needs to leave here today saying, well, I can't be a good Christian. I mean, I know he's talking about sinners becoming saints, but I'll never be a saint. The only person to keep you and me from becoming all that God wants us to be is you and me if we fail to surrender. Let's not be stubborn and disobedient. Let's cooperate with God and be the people he wants us to be. If you have been defeated in your life and think God can never change me, 
I have good news for you. Oh, yes, he can. I've seen people give up the bottle after 20 years of drunkenness and never take a drop again through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen people who can't forgive each other forgive people things they never thought they'd do. Do not tell me that the Holy Spirit's not strong enough to save you. He's not strong enough to glue your marriage back together. He's not strong enough to help you face your problems. Oh, yes, he is. The only question is whether we're going to cooperate with him or not. And I'm going to do everything I can today to convince you that that's a good idea in case you haven't figured that out. Now, one other thing I need to say about sanctification is here is this is a gradual, lifelong process of development accomplished through many hindrances, trials, and failures. It requires trust and perseverance. Here's the parallel to marriage again. <laughs> Becoming a good husband is a gradual, lifelong process of development. It is achieved after many trials and failures. Any other husbands here agree with that? Yeah. But this is why I need the commitment from my wife for better, for worse, for virtue, for poor, and sickness and health, so I'm not discouraged to give up. 27 years and 10 months ago, I didn't know, how, I didn't know a lick about being a good husband. Now I know a little more. And what's given me the courage to try every time I've blown it, look, we have failed in our marriage. Sometimes she's blown it. Most of the time I've blown it. That's really true. But every time I've blown it, when I apologize and I know she forgives me and we try again, it gives me courage to try the next time. I mean, you see why the devil wants to destroy marriages because then we lose hope because we blow it. I'm not going to forgive you. You're on your own. It's too hard. Move on. And so we don't know anything about grace and we don't know anything about forgiveness. And nobody tries anymore. In fact, we keep secrets because if I let you know, you'll just leave. Well, it's never that way with God. He never gives up. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'll put my Holy Spirit inside of you to change you. And he's going to come alongside you and give the strength to get it done. So let's get on with it. And so Peter says, let's get on with it. And I'm telling you this morning, let's get on with it. You and I were not saved to sit here and twiddle our thumbs until Jesus comes back. We were saved to accomplish the things that he has for us to do in this world and to become a little more like him every day. This is accomplished through many trials and hindrances. That's why this verse that I'm about to read you makes sense. This is from James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What? I mean, why on earth would I rejoice in trials? Well, you wouldn't unless somebody was using those things to help you and me to develop godly character, to make us holy. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times people come to me and they go, I don't understand what God's doing. I've been praying that I could be a godly leader and then he puts me at this position. There's not a person in my office who can lead anything. I mean, they couldn't lead their way out of a wet paper sack. I have to be in charge of everything. And I go, you mean you have to step up and lead over and over again? Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Maybe the reason you're having to step and lead over again is God's answering your prayer. Lead over and over again is because God's trying to answer your prayer through your job. Because you're there all week. Why would he only work on you on Sundays? Oh. I want to have a godly character and I've always struggled with patience. That's why God gave you those twins. Ah. 
No, I'm serious as I can be. The things we complain about, we go, God, you're not answering my prayer. I'm praying for this and this and this. And I get just the opposite. I know. I'm trying to help you grow in that. That's why you have to go through these trials and hindrances. Therefore, the perfecting of your faith to make you like me. God, I always wanted to get ahead in my life. And finally, I got a little money saved away. And then now all these people need my help and I have to give it away. Yeah, remember the other year when you were praying about generosity? Hmm. That's what it looks like. Remember you wanted more faith to be able to trust in me? Yeah. Got to get rid of the reserves if you're going to walk on faith. Hmm. So here's the question. Do I want to live a faith like that? Or do I want to handle everything myself and then say, God, don't rock my boat? Because then I'm not trusting in him and I'm not following him. And it's not where he wants me to be. Three strategies. So here, if you and I are going to be holy like he is, we've got to get saved. We've got to get sanctified. And here are three strategies that will not help us if we're in this sanctification process. They will not help us become practically holy. First of all, if you and I want to become more and more holy a little bit every day, focusing on rules, focusing on keeping rules won't help. It won't. It'll just make us self-righteous, prideful, and stuck up. And we have enough selfish, prideful, stuck-up people already. Can we all agree with that? Okay, let's not add to the list. Okay, the population of that is full. Jesus told a story about this once. He said, two men went to the temple to pray one day. One was a Pharisee, a very religious man. The other was a despised tax collector, a notorious sinner. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I tell you, that sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I mean, if we focus on rule keeping, yeah, I had a quiet time this morning. That makes 27 years straight. How about you? How are you doing? Oh, well, one day when you become mature like me, you'll know the satisfaction that's behind all this. Keep it to yourself. Hey, if I'm concerned about how you're doing in your daily devotional life, why don't I just ask you that? If I'm concerned that you know how I'm doing, that's when I'll say that. That is not the shortcut to holiness. Remember, God doesn't sin, doesn't tempt anybody else to do it. God is not prideful. God is love. Jesus came to die for us, not to show us how good he was. He's perfect. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you and I are going to do that, keeping rules isn't the key and focusing on rules. That'll just make us prideful and stuck up. Secondly, if you and I are going to seek holiness, avoiding sinners altogether, that's a bad idea. Because Jesus left us here to tell people about him. He told us to go and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell all the world the good news. And yet Christians throughout the ages have fallen into these same traps. There have been Christians over and over again who've fallen into the rule keeping. 
and tried to prove they were better Christians than all the other Christians. There have also been Christians who have tried to avoid all sinners and turn their church or their neighborhood or their home into this little bubble, this little cloister where they can become a monk or a hermit and stay away from all sinful influences. The only problem is it makes us useless when it comes to telling people about Christ. And again, all we appear is strange and stuck up. Jesus didn't pray that way. The night before he was crucified, here's what he prayed for his disciples. The same disciples whom he called away from sin and called to holy living, he prayed this. He said, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. John 17, 15. Earlier in Matthew 5, Jesus had said to the disciples, you're the light of the world. You're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, He takes the lamp and he places it on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We need to trust God, and we'll talk about how to do this, and faithfully serve him in the world without being of the world. And the answer to true holiness, and it's okay to go on a retreat, but we need to come back and get busy among our unbelieving friends who need to see what a real Christian looks like. So the key to holiness isn't focusing on rule keeping. It isn't trying to avoid sinners altogether. And thirdly, it's not about substituting religious rituals for obedience. I'll go to church Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day for good measure. And I'll put a 20 in the offering plate each time. That's got to count for something. Now I'm holy. What? Yeah, I said the Lord's Prayer seven times. I did this or that or the other thing. That makes me holy. Well, when you read the Bible, or when you heard what was said when you went to church, did you obey what it said? No, I, I don't do that part. What's more pleasing to the Lord? Samuel asked King Saul this. When Saul had done exactly those things, he directly disobeyed what God told him, but was offering sacrifices anyway. What's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering, the fat of rams. Rebellion is just as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. This is a verse that's not in your outline. It's from Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is confronting some of these religious hypocrites. And here's what he said. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're careful to tithe even to the little tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. You blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you end up swallowing a camel. I mean, if we focus on rule-keeping, we focus on religious ritual... We focus on being better than others and staying away from sinners. It'll lead us to self-righteousness and pride and sin. And that's not godly. And Jesus detested it. So if God wants us to be holy, and he's called us to be saved and to be sanctified, and those things won't help, then what will? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's point C. There are three strategies that will help us become holy like God every time. I'm going to tell them to you right now. First of all, if you and I, if I want to become a holy man, then I need to spend time daily reading and reflecting on God's holy word. 
That's why on the cover of this book it says, Holy Bible. If I want to become a holy man, I ought to read God's Holy Bible. Now, if you have a copy of the Bible and it sits on a shelf, it will not get into your head by osmosis. It will not happen. Having copies on your shelf doesn't count. I need to read it, meditate on it, and obey what God tells me to do when I reflect on his word. Listen to these words. Here's Jesus again. Remember we read John 17, 15 a little bit ago that Jesus was saying, Father, don't take them out of the world, but just protect them from the devil while they're in the world. Here's what he said two verses later. Father, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. It is great news that I have for you this morning. In a mixed up, confused, sinful society like ours, we have truth, God's truth to guide us. And that's why we talk about it here. This is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. Well, if I don't read it and don't know what it says and put it into practice, it's not my guide. And I'll be guided by the same things that make people, that lead people to make all kinds of foolish decisions in our culture. By the internet. Or by television. Or by popular opinion. And we see people doing this junk all the time. Do we not? Well, I don't want to live that way. I want to live God's way. And just because our culture says something's wrong doesn't make it wrong. Just because our culture says something's right doesn't make it right. But God knows what's best for us, so we're going to follow Him. And if I want to become a holy man, I need to spend time every day reading God's holy word, the Holy Bible. I mean, this should be obvious. But for many times, apparently, it's not. Now, here's more good news for you. We not only have the Holy Bible in print. This, this one costs, set me back between 250 and 295 It's a paper Bible. Latest translation, translations. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them anywhere. Lots of copies available. There's no reason we can't get a Bible. If that's too difficult, you can go to your phone. You don't even have to drive to the store. You can go to the phone and download the Bible app. It's on the back of your outline right here under resources. It says Version Bible Reading Plans. And it's at the Bible app, www.bible.com. Last night, I put it on my wife's phone. It took me four and a half minutes. I timed it. It's self-explanatory. You get on there, dozens of translations of the Bible. Part of it, there are Bible reading plans and devotional guides. Last night I found out on their website there, when I clicked on the app, there are 800 Bible reading plans now. 800. It's free. It's on your phone, which means you have extra time. You're waiting in line somewhere or something like that. You could read the Bible right there. You could keep the notes and check what God told you earlier in the morning when you handily forgot that after somebody cut you off in traffic and the right foot came back again. Now I can remember. There is no excuse for us not to read the Bible now. And you're going, John, you're not making it easy for me to get out of this. I am not. Remember where we started. Are you tired of letting sin have its way in your life? Do you want a better life? Do you want to live like God and be all that God wanted you to be? Well, if I want to be a holy person, I need to read God's holy Bible. Let's do it every day. If you're not sure how to do this, call us. We'll help you get set up. It's a piece of cake. It really is. Secondly, if I want to be a holy person, here's another strategy that will help me. Focusing on rules and comparing myself to others, that won't. This will. I need to regularly spend time with God's holy people. Not to prove that I'm better, but to learn. See, we're all on this journey together. 
And God's arranged this church, like every other church. Some of us have been Christians for a long time, maybe 20 years. Others have been Christians for 20 minutes. Some of us know a lot about managing money God's way. Others of us know how to handle godly marriages. Some of us know a lot about dealing with forgiveness or with grief. And we can all help each other. But how can we help if we're not together, if we stay home and never get involved? How can I help you when I don't know what the issue is you're facing? And how can you help me? And that's why Paul wrote these words to the Colossians. He says, look, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, talking to people just like you and me, called to holiness, since he chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, how am I going to do that? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds all of us together in perfect harmony. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That's what we've been doing this morning. We've been teaching God's word to give counsel. We've been singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and praying together. The question is now, will you and I develop the relationships, little laboratories, in relationships with others where we can learn to forgive each other and clothe ourselves with humility and patience and kindness. If you can find the word forgive in the middle of that paragraph, circle it. I mean, isn't it interesting? Remember I told you that this is going to, in order for us to become holy people, it's going to involve overcoming hindrances. Well, sometimes the hindrance to me becoming holy is you. And sometimes it's me. And we're going to have to forgive each other and help each other. Good news is, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me is in you, and he'll help us cooperate. We're going to be forming small groups, connect groups here. They'll be forming in six weeks or so. If you're not in one, we're going to help you find one because we're going to grow together, and we're going to become godly. And if you want to become godly, then get in one. And if you can't find one, then let us know. We'll start another one because we're going to become godly people here. Thirdly, You and I need to continually surrender control of every part of our lives to God's Holy Spirit. If I want to become holy, I've got to spend time in God's Holy Word. If I want to become holy, I've got to spend time with God's Holy People. If I want to become holy, I have to surrender my life every day over and over again to the power of the Holy Spirit. John, didn't you say this earlier? Yes, I did. But this is the hardest part for us to do. So I'm saying it twice. And it's a different scripture reference because the Bible talks about it multiple places too. Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Paul writing the Galatians, not the Romans this time. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. God wants us to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, and it's going to require surrender over and over again. What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about like this. If I'm trying to get my right foot saved, be a Christian in every part of my life, then when I get in the car, before I start the car, I go, Father, would you help me drive like a Christian today? I surrender my driving to you. I'm not kidding you. If I'm having a hard time with my boss, because my boss is just a piece of work, Before I walk in the office, as I turn off the car, it's like, God, I'm going to my office today, and I want to be a Christian. I I surrender my tongue and my temper today that I can be a Christian at work today. Would you show me how to live that out? 
I look up the passages that apply for these things. I get in my connect group and I talk about it with God's people. Holy word, holy people, completely surrendered to God's Holy Spirit. That's his desire for us. Not so we can judge each other and prove I'm better than you and I'm more holy than you are. Mm -mm. Just so we can become the people he wants us to be with whatever time we have left. Let's not waste it. Let's not hide ourselves away trying to avoid all sin. Let's spend time in God's word with God's people. And let's go tell the good news to people. Let's become who he wants us to be. I mean, that's why Centerpoint exists. To help you and me do that. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just, I want us to help each other here. I want us to encourage each other here. Lord, we don't need to give up on this just because some habits die hard. And some of us come from really painful backgrounds and have a long way to go. Lord, you want to take us however far we're willing to go. And I pray that we will surrender to your Holy Spirit. I pray that we will not be stubborn. I pray that we will not be foolish. I pray that we will not be stiff-necked people. And we'll just cooperate and say, God, if you want to change me, change me. I don't want to go back to the way I used to live. It was sinful, wrong, and I know it, and you know it. No more games, Lord. I want to be the real deal Christian. I don't want to pretend I'm holier than anybody. I don't want to hide myself away. So, Lord, give me a desire for your word, a hunger for your word. Give me the ability to understand it. And then give me the ability to obey whatever you tell me to do. Give me good Christian friends, Lord, who can hold me accountable. So I can help them and they can help me. And finally, Lord, just use me however you wish. Lord, I thank you for the good news. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. We are not here alone. You are with us and you're inside us. Empower us to be your people. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.